Hello and welcome to the 17th episode of When I Was Your Age. I'm your host, Roland Parker, coming to you from a brisk Halloween Eve. And as always, it is a joy, pleasure, and treat to have you here. Today's guest is Jack Townsend, the executive chef at Diamond Jack in Maryville, Tennessee. And I'm really excited to get get chatting it up with him. Um, everything related to um, food service, kitchen, uh, anything like that, culinary services. I'm so excited to get his perspective on that. But before we get into it, I do have a little bit of housekeeping. Make sure that you follow the Instagram at WIWYAPod. Thank you guys so much for the support. We are at 746 followers, um, which is a far cry from the beginning of the journey. So I appreciate all the love and support there. If you have questions that you would like me to direct to a guest or that you want to ask me uh, directly, feel free and send those via DMs. That's the best way to do that on the Instagram. You can also do that on email, um, pod at gmail.com. If you are listening for the first time, uh, consider giving us a follow um, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts is where we are available to listen. And you can now catch episodes on YouTube if that's more your jam. You can um, fo- uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, um, but post us up um, in the break room at work while you eat your your lunch. Um, to, uh, you know, tilt us up against a water bottle. Uh, that'd be a fun time, I'm sure. Um, all available links for those. Uh, You can find them in the Instagram bio in the link tree. And without further ado, we're going to bring in our guest, Jack. Jack, how's it going, man? What's up with you? Good, good. Just enjoying my version of the weekend and just hanging out tonight, not doing anything, which I do a lot of the nights that I don't work. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So that's something that we were talking about before we started was that uh, Monday, Tuesday is kind of your, your weekend and has been, you were saying like the past, like five or six years now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Nice. Okay. So to, with, with that is this, how does that play into maybe other, other people like your friends and stuff, uh, like the overlap there, like trying to make plans. How, what does that look like? Do you just like have to hang out with people really early, really late or, (laughs) um, what, what do you do there? Yeah. So When I first started in the industry, there was definitely, I think, an adjustment period with a lot of my friends and family where everybody, you know, I I feel like people make plans very last minute a lot of the time. And people learn pretty quickly that if they want to do something with me, it has to be scheduled like a couple weeks or even months in advance. So (laughs) once everybody got the hang of that, um, I think that's kind of when my life started to normalize a little bit mm-hmm. um, in, in the lead up to it though, it was definitely a, a really weird shift. And there was definitely kind of a like monastic period of like, you don't see anybody, you don't talk to anybody. You just <laughs> put your head down and kind of trudge through it for, I'd say at least the first year before you kind of, and in the industry too, you have to work for, you know, you have to work for a place for a little while before you can really start getting the time off you want as Mm -hmm. well. Right. Yeah. I I imagine that that is one of the many factors that kind of leads into just the dynamics in a kitchen and like the, the staff together, the crew um, being, you know, 
so so close and and tight knit in that way. Hopefully, you're blessed with some uh, some some really great people. Uh, oh yeah, for that. sure. That's that's good. That's good. So, mm-hmm. guys, if you're if you're not, make sure that you go ahead and follow Jack on Instagram at Where the Town Ends. I love that Instagram name. That's really thank you. <laughs> uh, that, that's really cool. But get make sure you give him a follow. You can also uh, check out Diamond Jack. Uh, to to see a little bit of what Jack is cooking up, um, so let's, we'll we'll get into some of our get get to know you questions. Um, where are you from, and where do you currently live? Yeah, so I was born in Knoxville um, at Baptist Hospital, uh, which no longer exists, um, <laughs> and I grew up mostly in Seattle. Um, in the Puget Sound region and then moved back here for high school. So I've been back here since my like freshman year of high school or so. Um, And I currently live um, on Gay Street in downtown Knoxville. Nice. Very cool. So I did, I did not know that that about you, that you kind of grew up in in Seattle. Um, What was the, what was the connection there? You were born here, kind of returned back, but like, how did what was the the move there for Seattle? I'm assuming, like parents um, work or whatever. Yeah, so it was my dad's job at the time, but he was actually from Seattle, um, so we have family up there. Um, but we also have family down here, and my parents went to UT for college, so that's why they were here in the first place, and that's why we ended up coming back as well. Nice. That's mm-hmm. that's cool. That's cool. Um, so what is it that you do? We'll get into this more mm-hmm. later in the pod, but uh, tell us for uh, for everybody who doesn't know. Yeah. So I am a executive chef at Diamond Jack Restaurant um, in downtown Maryville. And basically what executive chef means is it's my job to write the menus, um, R&D, the menu items, um, come up with everything, price everything out order everything, make sure everything's running smoothly and then work service and make sure all the dishes look perfect as they're coming out. Nice. Excellent. Um, and how old are you? I am 29 years old. Mm-hmm. I saw you, I saw you looking up to, to do the calculation. I, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I feel like 26 and 27 is the first age that I like really started to like Oh man, what? Yeah, I got to make sure that I like get this right. Um, yeah, it's tough. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, what what piece of media are you currently enjoying? Be that a book, podcast, Mm -hmm. um, music, TV show? What what's kind of grabbing you right now? So, um, I actually I don't watch a lot of TV, um, and I don't watch a lot of movies either i'm a mostly a youtube person okay uh, um but um like on youtube mostly like um golf content um automotive stuff um fashion and vintage clothing kind of things nice um and then uh travel um yeah travel and cooking content so i have i don't like read nonfiction books either for me it has to be like uh or i don't read fiction books it has to be like nonfiction for me to 
be interested in it. Sure. So <laughs> that's good. So what uh who's your like your your favorite like golf like channels to go to? Um probably Rick Shields. He's the biggest one. Uh mm-hmm. he's out of the UK. Um and then uh aside from him, um Bob does sports as always. Uh, yeah a favorite uh, mine. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, I, I have a, a guy that I went to high school with um, that I'm trying to get on the pod. So if you if you're, if you're listening, uh, Sam, then you know it's a, we'd love to to get you on. We've been talking back back and forth trying to make it happen. Um, but he is he's like yeah, garnered like a little uh, following. It's really cool to to watch like um, how he's been doing it. But uh, had, um, making content on Instagram. Um, and it's been, it's been really cool to see. He's got a really awesome. pure, pure shot to, uh, oh, same nice. strokes on, on Instagram. Yeah. Give him a follow. Yeah, for sure. Um, nice. Uh, I like that. I t- you know, it's, it's funny to think about, um, like YouTube as a medium for like, just like content that we absorb, like you can get down so many different like rabbit holes and stuff. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> So I uh, I've been listening to the Dune audiobooks. Okay. And um uh they're they're pretty dense and the world building is is pretty like crazy and hard to follow. Lots of like made up terms and like different words for stuff. It's uh I think if I was like reading it too, I would ju- I would just like I I would go blind. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this is like so yeah. crazy to keep up with. But like, wa- watching like some YouTube videos of breakdowns and stuff like after to help digest has been good. But there's like so many different, so many different things that and avenues that you can go down, and even like subgenres within that. Like you can find like comedy like type golfers who are oh like, yeah like making fun yeah. of themselves <laughs> and uh, um yeah that's a that's that's so that's so fun I, i've heard of rick shields though so mm-hmm. have you been following him for a while yeah probably about five years or five years or so i think i grew up golfing um but during the pandemic i got really into it and now it's my main hobby uh outside of the kitchen so nice i spend as much time out there as i can <laughs> uh, where uh where is your like favorite track to play right now uh, around here, it's a course called um, Wind River, yeah. out in Lenore City. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I th- yeah. I've I've played there with um, uh, with Luke Wee and Brody Hess. Oh um, yeah, nice. Yeah, <laughs> we were just uh, me and Nick Starkey were talking about getting together with Luke Wee or and Matt McNaughton the other day, actually. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, it's a, I I like golfing with Luke. Uh, he's a He's a he's a fun time. He was on the podcast. He was the first episode with him, and it was him and his uh, his co-host of their podcast. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah, they keep going podcast. Shouts out to them. Um, but yeah, it's a great great golf partner. Um, and yeah, I heard I heard he's a stick too. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> d- yeah. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Got it on him for sure. Um, d- what is something that you would consider a luxurious necessity? Um, it's a, I, I like asking this question just to see like where people's minds go. Um, but you know, it borders the line between like a need and a want integrated into the routine could be like part of work. Um, I, I have an idea of what, I, something that I think, think you might say, but okay. I'm interested to see where, where it is that you take it. Okay. Um, 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different routes I could go. I have, you know, a list of tools that I use every day at work that I would consider a necessity, but I'm going to go the kind of the general life route and say um, a really, a really high quality pair of boots. Mm, okay. Gotcha. And do you, what is, what high quality pair of boots is that to you? Um, probably Goodyear welt so that they can be resold uh, several times throughout their lifespan and uh, genuine leather. So, nice. you know, you can put whatever sole you want on them and you can have the same pair essentially endlessly, you know, so an investment purchase, I would say to buy a really good pair, but if you buy it right, it'll last you your whole life. So that's, that would have to be my answer. Nice. I, I like that a lot. I, that's, um, it's from a, like a fashion standpoint and a functionality standpoint, um, no, totally. I I think that's a great answer. I t- I've not had a bad answer yet to, um, to to this question. So I like that question. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been been good. I so I thought with work, I was thinking mm-hmm. that you were probably going to say just a really good chef's knife. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, I just that I feel like that would make the most sense. It's like the mo- most basic and important tool. I would think. I I haven't worked in the space, so I don't really know for sure. But that's my understanding. The I think when I first got into it, that would have been my answer. Um, but the longer I work in it and the more hours I work, my boots that I wear every day at work are th- now my most essential okay. thing. I, I would I would have to say, because I can get any knife sharp enough to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're working 12, 14 hour days, you know, your body is going to hit its limits. So you have to find whatever, you know, whatever you can to keep your body going through, through those long shifts, because the better your body feels the, you know, the better your state of mind is throughout the shift. Yeah. A hundred percent that, you know, that I hadn't really thought about that because like, obviously that that's the direct manipulation is like what's in front of you with your, with your knife and everything. But like the, the base, like the, um, the, the support like ground up, like, you know, so there's only so much that the, that the mats can do on the floor. Yeah. Oh, uh, you gotta, you gotta have, you can't, can't make it through the shift with vans probably. Um, no, <laughs> uh, I see a lot of guys try, but no, <laughs> yeah, so they make the switch pretty quickly. Yep. That's, that's good. Boots, good, high quality boots. Uh, that, yeah. I like that answer a lot. Um, do you have any, any bits that you're doing currently? Um, bits that I am doing current in the kitchen. The list is endless of stupid bits that we're doing on a daily basis. Um, um, I think right now the, the we're so back bit is probably, (laughs) probably at the top of the list. (laughs) It's just the, (laughs) that's great. We, we break that one out at least probably 50 times a day. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like every time the rail clears, just the oh, we're so back. Oh, we're so back. <laughs> we're so back. <laughs> I, I love the any kind of like response joke like that that is, um, it has a wide range of applicability. Like, a 
you know, that's what she said. Oh, we're so back. <laughs> yeah. Right? So that was my nickname in high school. You know, yeah. That's like, I love those kinds of jokes because it's almost <laughs> like a race to see who can like get get it get it out. Me. Yeah, get it out yeah. the fastest. Yeah. And then yeah. on like the more uh kitchen specific side of things, there's this there's this bit that's always been in every kitchen I've worked in. I don't know if it's in every kitchen, but it's essentially like repeating what someone said and then just like like condensing it down and adding herd to it so like <laughs> an example would be like at the end of the shift i'm going to pass out aggressively and then like the response would be like schlomp herd like <laughs> that's <laughs> schlomp herd yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's that's too good i um uh, i played ultimate frisbee this weekend and uh, a lot of the officiating especially in like um in like open play and like like pickup and stuff is like it's like self-officiated mm-hmm. and so if there if you can't set like picks that's a, a to like get separation from a defender or anything so like if you if somebody like sets a pick then you know you you call pick like and then, like, if somebody else will shout out, like, pick called so that everybody else can know, like, all right, we got to stop and go back to the spot that we were. But what I heard a lot of the guys doing today was, like, or, or not not today, but the other day, um, some guy would be, like, he would, like, drop a pass or something. He's, like, ah, shoot. And then somebody else would call out, like, oh, shoot, called. And like, <laughs> Yeah, so it's essentially, like, the same bit, basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I immediate I immediately thought of that. That's, that's yeah. so good. But yeah, sh- I l- but the the shortening of oh I'm gonna I can't wait to go pass out after this. Shall I heard? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the cadence of it. That's so yeah. good. Um, given the opportunity to replace the national anthem with any song on your playlist, what do you think that would be? And tell me a little bit about that. Oh, that's. Oof, that's tough. Um, I'm a music nerd, so I have five or six playlists that are all over about six hours long. Oh wow! Okay. Um, <laughs> so I have a gigantic library of music. Um, let's see. I think right now, because it, cha- I'd say it changes almost monthly, um, but. God, I'd say right now, probably, um, I don't know, something off of Zach Bryan's new record. Mm-hmm. Kind of pick them, honestly. Yeah. Um, Could be any, any number of those. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I can't, can't go wrong with it. It's, it's a really uh-uh. great, it's a, it's a really great set of tracks, I think. Yeah. So, Gotta you know, be album of the year for me. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I'm with you. I don't think, I don't think much else comes close. No. But, Nice. I love it. Um, yeah, dude, he's, he's so good. I, um, I was first kind of introduced to him through, uh, Trevor Gaines Perry would, um, share, share him all the time on, uh, on like his Snapchat story. And like, and then like when I saw that he was doing that, I would listen to like a lot of like Tyler Childers, like radio on like Spotify. And it w- I would like get fed a lot of Zach Bryan that way. And that was how I got introduced to them, dude. Yeah. So good, man. Yeah. Um, 
And then last get to know you question is how do we know each other? Uh, so we know each other from going to Maryville College, like I'm sure a lot of the guests on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you and I got to know each other better specifically through playing sand volleyball. Yes. Um, and then living down the hall from each other uh, my senior year, your junior year. I think so. I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a, uh yeah. Lloyd. Yeah. A, yeah. And if it was in Lloyd, then it might have been my sophomore year. Or sophomore year? Okay. Yeah. So we yeah. roomed with Chris, but then it was so it was it was me, yes. Sam, and, it was me, Sam, Parker, and Chris. Mm-hmm. And me, Sam, and Parker were sophomores, and Chris was a junior. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, dude, that was that was a great time. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of tales from the from that time period. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so it's it's Halloween time right now and um we like you know, we decorated and like and like cut out the jack-o'-lanterns and stuff like that and like there was a <laughs> there was a couch like set up in front of like the window. And I, this jack-o'-lantern had been there and like molded on the inside and with, and it like, it was like, you know, when pumpkins get old, they like kind of recede into yeah. themselves and they look even more like ghoul-like and terrible. It was like that, but with mold. So like way worse and gross and yucky and like Parker just chucked it like straight out of the window, like into the courtyard because <laughs> he was like, I'm not touching it. Like I'm gonna, I'm poking it out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yep it was yep. too funny uh, oh my gosh <laughs> yeah um yeah a lot of yeah lot, lots of yuckiness in, <laughs> in a lot of a lot of sticky floors it's a, <laughs> no, no doubt oh man um love love that go go scots did you see the go um Scott. did you see the um the like the fan account or the, I don't even, I'm not even familiar with the account itself, but um, it was like a list of like all the States and like all of like the best, like game day environments. And it was like, it listed Maribel college as like the one for Tennessee. Yeah. So I guess that was like that week. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So uh, yeah, it wasn't overall. It was yeah, like so- week. Tennessee's out of town. So exactly. Like, we, we yeah. Get to, we get and to step was, in and resume, but it's not like ETS. You picked it for up. us. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So that was a great homecoming, by the way. Nice. That was super solid homecoming. Oh, dude, I was sad <laughs> to miss it. We were, we were at the Alabama-Tennessee game, um, which was cool, but it was not t- as cool was... as last year. But yeah, <laughs> 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 I don't really remember. So <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> No, um, it's, but yeah, we, that, that was one thing that always kind of stunk is like, we would, my, my dad would like offer for like us to go to the Alabama game and it like very frequently, if not always falls on like homecoming weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a couple, um, like ones like in college that I like didn't go to cause I was like that at the Alabama Tennessee game. It was kind of bumming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can see the third Saturday in October, you, or first Saturday, right. which one is it? The third, third, third Saturday in October. Third Saturday, yeah. If you can see that, like, yeah, you should go see it. <laughs> uh, uh, might as well. But there were, mm-hmm. so you got a limited number of 
homecomings like, as a as a student. I should have true, taken true. some advantage of that too. Um, well, let's get into your story a little bit. Yeah. Um, you're an executive chef, but uh, I want to kind of go back and see if we can draw a line from the first moment that you felt like cooking was important to you to the place where you are now. Um, and like, so like we don't have to be super detailed along the way, but I do think some, some touch points would be important. So was there a time where you, that you can identify like, Oh, this is, that was maybe the first time that, um, I had a cool experience cooking or preparing food or first memory that I associate with like being a chef, like, like that was what set me on the way. Is there anything like that? I'm not sure if there's one specific moment um before uh my dad met my mom he was a chef um so um he had been he had been a chef for a while and then left the industry went to college met my mom they had me and the whole time i was alive he wasn't a chef but still loved cooking um cooked with both my parents um almost every night of the week growing up my parents were um huge on you know it doesn't matter what we're having for dinner but it has to be at the dinner table and we have to be sitting around the dinner Mm -hmm. table um every every night um and i think probably for a couple of reasons one is um i'm an only child so, uh, I was, always, I'm still, and always have been really close with my parents. Um, and then growing up, uh, my dad introduced me to Anthony Bourdain and mm-hmm. no reservations and parts unknown. So that was like on just like repeat, just yeah, like reruns of that were constantly on, uh, in the house growing up. And I remember he has, uh, he has a super famous quote um, about families eating dinner together um, that I don't know if I should, (laughs) if I should say the whole uh, unedited quote, but essentially like there would be less serial killers if like Timmy just ate more of mom's meatloaf growing Mm -hmm. up. Like, (laughs) so I think that was always um, really important to my parents and it was, always something that we loved to do together and always something that like we didn't really think about. We just knew we were going to do it every night. Mm -hmm. Um, And we always had fun learning different recipes and we never cooked one style of food. Um, Both of both sides of my family are just like nondescript mayonnaise and Elmer's glue sandwiches. So like, (laughs) you know, there, there was no like strong cultural, um, bias to any kind of cuisine. Um, so we were, we were always playing in the kitchen and trying new stuff. And I remember, uh, I remember my mom learned how to make falafels, um, about probably 15 years ago and that was kind of like a big moment for our family because we were like oh cool we know how to like do this cool thing now and we're gonna do it all the time because it's you know it's better than just like 
grabbing a rotisserie chicken or something like mm. that. And like, it's, it's a really fun thing to do. Um, <clears throat> so I, yeah, I would say not one specific moment. I would say just kind of my whole upbringing was always centered around cooking. It was just always there, always a part of what we were doing. Um, going and finding new restaurants that we hadn't tried before was always something we were doing. Um, and uh, I, I might get into this a little bit more, but growing up in the Puget Sound, um, my dad uh, is a fisherman, loves, loves fishing. So we spent a lot of time catching fresh salmon, uh, pulling crab pots, um, you know, bringing stuff right off the beach and into the kitchen. So, you know, when you're actually like catching your food and then going and cooking it, there's a much different relationship with, with your food. So that was kind of what I grew up with was that little bit of a different relationship with, with cooking than I think a lot of people, especially in, especially in the middle of the country uh, grew Mm -hmm. up with. Yeah, for sure. Um, No, absolutely. I see. Um, one, th- one thing that kind of struck me is you, is you mentioned that there wasn't like any like specific um, cuisine or culture that you guys like kind of adhered to or um, went off of as like your main staple. Like, it's not like, Oh, we're Italian and my Nona makes, you know, it's a, that all of these dishes and like that, that was what I think of when I think of food. It was, it's almost like you, because you didn't have that, you guys were more free to just, learn and try and stuff. Cause like, I don't know that me and my family would think to try and like make falafel like necessarily. So like the fact that you had that as an avenue is so, so cool. And so, so interesting. Are there other foods like that, that, um, you guys found yourself exploring that like became staples of, of the house? Yeah. Um, Yeah. We have, um, we definitely have a couple of like big meals, um, that we break out for special occasions. Uh, one, one is the falafels. Um, another one is gumbo. Um, mm. again, nobody, nobody in my family is from new Orleans or, <laughs> or anything like that. But, um, my dad's cooking background taught him how to make gumbo. Um, so yeah, that was like, as soon as like 65 degree weather hit, it was gumbo day, like nice. every single time. Um, and then, um, aside from that, it was always really like really big pieces of some kind of meat, um, either grilled or smoked. Um, and then, but more than anything else, it was seafood. It was always growing up. Everything was seafood first. So we ate more fish, shellfish, um, you know, crustaceans, oysters, clams, um, anything we could get our hands on all the time. Uh, and it was something my mom didn't grow up with and she didn't know she liked until my dad showed it to her and it became her favorite. It was already my dad's favorite. So yeah, growing up, I think it was pretty unique, um, to have that like seafood first idea Mm -hmm. in the house. Um, that was, that's, that's something that I think a lot of people don't experience. Um, you know, because, 90% 90% of the country is landlocked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even when we lived in landlocked States, we would 
go on a fishing trip, catch fish, ship it back, or we would, you know, try to find someone that was shipping it fresh or we did everything we could to get our hands on it um, pretty much all the time. And now, uh, now I feel more comfortable cooking seafood than, uh, than anything else. So it's definitely become first a comfort food and then secondly, a a strength to um, what I do professionally. Nice. That's, that's really cool. I think, um, I think for a lot of, for any kind of like media that, that I consume where, you know, chefs are talking about, um, you know, their relationship that they have with food, they often identify things that were important to them in their childhood and stuff. And it could be like familial or, or regional. So to, to hear you say like, Oh yeah, because of the time that I spent in Seattle, I now feel more comfortable than I ever would making seafood. And like, I'm, I live in Tennessee, um, mm-hmm. which I think is so cool because now you have the ability to to share and expose that to people who otherwise wouldn't have the same kind of opportunity. I um, Yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I often like kind of thought of myself as not really like big on seafood. I still in a lot of ways, like don't feel that way. But mm-hmm. I think that I don't know. The, it's, it's all about exposure and um, I th- spending like spending time on the boat and stuff i think that it makes a bunch bigger difference when you're seeing all of the different processes and st- rather mm-hmm. than just like hey here it is in, in front of you but like when you going fishing and like being at the ports and taking stuff directly off the beach that's such a that's such a cool experience yeah and you know it's i'm comfortable with it just like how someone from you know the gulf would be comfortable with it or how you know someone from the ozarks would be comfortable with you know a lot of venison a lot of wild boar um even like uh you know especially in that region like squirrel and like muskrat and a lot of those really small game animals are much more prevalent in um you know lower appalachia and um kind of where where that region kind of tapers off towards the bottom so you know there's in different cultures there's all kinds of weird stuff that you haven't tried so it's it's just kind of all about learning how to get comfortable with experiencing something new and once you're comfortable with being uncomfortable uh you'll start to seek those experiences out like more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of being uncomfortable, um, were there things that like working in a kitchen or, or maybe just your relationship with, with food in general that like those things didn't come as easily. Like you, you thought like, Oh, like I can adjust to this style or this approach or technique and it didn't click with you as soon as you, you wanted, is there anything that kind of jumps out in that way? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's been kind of in every chef's career, you'll always eventually find yourself in that place. Um, the first, I think the first time I was in that place was, um, the first executive chef position I ever took over was, I was 26 and we were reopening a restaurant called Babalu that we had purchased after the pandemic. 
Um, and that restaurant was all Latin, Spanish, Portuguese food. And I had little to no experience with, with that cuisine and those cultures. And so what I did was just dove headfirst into it, learned everything I possibly could and, you know, tried to, tried to recreate it from the most, um, the most prime source material that I could find basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I did a lot of, um, watching videos in different languages and, you know, just trying to follow what people were doing with the images on the screen because I couldn't understand what they were saying. And, you know, I tried to pick up a little bit more Spanish to make, you know, make the learning process a little easier. And that was, that was the first time. And once, once I got comfortable with teaching myself how to do things, a lot of other things, um, definitely got easier. I think one of the biggest challenges that I've faced was I, uh, from a perspective of being a chef, I got into the industry a lot later than most people. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who are chefs get their first, if they're trying to work their way up, they get their first EC position at 28 to 30 years old after working in the industry, in the industry for 10 years mm-hmm. or so. Um, so I had kind of a huge, um, <clears throat> a huge disadvantage in not having any culinary school experience and knowing that if I wanted to learn new things, I was going to have to teach them to, um, myself. And weirdly enough, this is actually where having the degree that I have, um, helped me in an industry that was completely not related to it at all. It's a, that I'm, I'm grinning to myself because this is like part of like my next line of questioning is one, I thought like I, we both went to Maribel college. So I'm like, mm-hmm. a, I'm a believer in a liberal arts education, but I, I'm not really familiar with what your degree was. So mm-hmm. one, I'd like you to ex- expand that. And then let's, let's talk about the application there. What, how did how did that give you an advantage and a leg up when maybe you were lacking in like the the culinary school element um because that that seems made in a you know intimidating in a major way to me but i'd I'd love to unpack that a little yeah so my degree is a um i have a bachelor degree in history with a minor in art Um, so, uh, my thesis was on, um, how social events in the 1980s affected, um, the art movement or the modern art movement, um, of that time period. So I think from that, I knew I wanted to be able to be creative in some kind of, some kind of field related to my career, but I didn't really know how to get there. And I didn't really know what career field that was going to be. Um, And once I decided to make it cooking, um, I kind of realized that the skills that I had developed while earning that degree were actually super applicable. So um, the first one was research 
Um, you know, when you're doing a history degree, you have to spend hours upon hours of digging through, you know, <clears throat> archives, books, you know, source material, um, learning how to use a search engine efficiently to find mm -hmm. what you're looking for um, and that kind of stuff. And that if I didn't have that background, I wouldn't have been able to teach myself as thoroughly as I've been able to. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of the, um, the first half of it. And then the second half is I <clears throat> also, because of my degree, um, my writing skills, um, were pretty, um, I was able to set myself apart with how I was able to communicate with, um, the people above me, uh, both written and spoken. So I was able to <clears throat> get my feelings and my points across in a much more articulate way than some of the people around me, um, which definitely gave me a, an advantage mm -hmm. to getting to where I wanted to be because I was, I was able to pinpoint what I wanted to do and then communicate that to my superiors so that they were able to then kind of build a path for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I imagine from like, um, ju just the, the standpoint of wanting to communicate clearly, Hey, here's a concept I have, um, like, it, and here's maybe some of the historical, um, you know, influence of like, like this, this culture, this area, the, these are some of the, the pieces that I want to incorporate and, here's the greater vision. Here are the pieces I want to do that with like being able to put all of that together and express that in, in a menu. Um, I imagine that that's, that's got to have a major advantage because I, I, it's, I think surface level, if you say history and, uh, and art, like you're, you're like, okay, sure. Like I, I get that there'd be some overlap there with, in working in a kitchen, but on a deeper level, like especially with the things that you've identified to, to bring that forward. Um, that's gosh, that's so, that's so cool to see all of those, all of those lines kind of drawing and, and solidifying yeah. themselves. Yeah. And one of I think one of my favorite instances was when we were opening Bobbly when I was building that menu, <clears throat> I, you know, they, we started with Spanish and Portuguese cuisine and one thing I knew right off the bat from my degree was, um, weirdly enough, I already kind of had a starting point of what Spanish cuisine was influenced by historically. I knew um, that they had been controlled by, um, <clears throat> they had been controlled by a Muslim empire for such a long time before um, the Spanish retook the country and then moved on to um uh exploring the americas that i knew that there was a lot of middle eastern influence in spanish mm -hmm. cuisine so i knew that i had a little more wiggle room in what i could do um than than just like the straight up and down like paella or you know bocarones or you know a lot of that really straight up and down Spanish stuff. So it gave me immediately a broader scope of what I knew I could 
do with it essentially. Yeah, that's that's cool. So you you mentioned um, the the ability to research and like the practice thereof, like having that in place helped set you up to teach yourself in the future and and learn about that. What uh what are those resources that you kind of look to? Because you mentioned some like foreign language videos. Um, to be able to identify some techniques and stuff. Well, what what are mm-hmm. those resources that you look to when you're looking to construct a menu or just get inspiration for for new stuff, new ideas? Yeah. Um, right off the bat, I think it, it's almost kind of memed at this point, but the the Netflix series Chef's Table oh. really was kind of the the starting point for me of a moment where I thought, okay, I'm, I might be able to figure out how to do this. Mm -hmm. Essentially the way I heard stories of the best chefs in the world talk about how they landed, where they landed. And I heard more stories about like, I, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And I landed here and turns out this is my thing. I heard that story way more than I thought I would. And once I started kind of hearing that more and more, it gave me a lot of confidence to go after it. So I think from from the perspective of getting to see the highest level and getting to see the stories behind the highest level and humanizing them a lot was that was huge for me. So that was my first um, that, that was kind of my my first um um <laughs> source that i i looked to and then once i actually started cooking and started being in the kitchen um i i paid for masterclass mm-hmm. um masterclass had at the time i'm sure they still do but they had um a class from Aaron Franklin on Franklin's barbecue oh my gosh yeah they have they have a full and and when i say class these really are like hour-long lessons so it's it's essentially like to a certain extent it's a lot like culinary school online almost okay um but the two the two most useful ones for me were um thomas keller who is the most decorated american chef um and then gordon ramsay who is i think the second most decorated um British chef behind Marco Pierre White and watching people who have earned three Michelin stars on multiple occasions, teaching you how to make um, just a mayonnaise was like an insanely eye opening Mm -hmm. experience. And then, so once I learned the basics, then I knew that I could start getting a hold of some more um, kind of some more advanced cookbooks and take those basics that I learned and then apply them to um, more in-depth uh, cookbooks. And so I have, I have a little library of cookbooks built up that have really been influential for me. And then aside from that, just YouTube, man, just yeah. straight up oh YouTube. <laughs> just, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, there are, an endless amount of skills that I have now that I learned from just 
you just seeing if there was a YouTube video on it. And mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, there is um, even the more obscure stuff. Um, like one of my favorite things that I learned from YouTube was how to make a Spanish dish uh, called um, conchinillo, uh, which is whole roast suckling pig. And I went digging for it. And sure enough, there was, there was a YouTube video with, you know, it only had like 300 views on it and it was in, yeah, you can find it. And it was in Castilian Spanish. So even the little Spanish I knew didn't, didn't translate all shot. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't translate at all. Um, but it was, it was enough to be able to put the pieces together and and figure it out on my own. That's yeah. That's really great. You, you mentioned watching like uh, Aaron Franklin stuff. So every every time that I go like to plan out like a um, like a barbecue, like I have an offset smoker and I love to make ribs. I love doing a chuck roast because mm-hmm. it is for you know far cheaper than a brisket. Um, yep. And it it I'm not saying it turns out as good, um, but I, <laughs> but like but for like buying like that cut of meat and it and like smoking it and like it for the amount of effort, like it tastes really great. So, and like, I love, I love to do it. Um, but every time I'm like setting up to like smoke meat for the next day, I'm always like finding myself going to like my three, like YouTube accounts that I, that I know, like, like, all right, here are the things that I need to remember to hear like i need to sweat it out this much and like you know so like do all of the materials i can set out for the day and just mm-hmm. like a good like good good goal to to emulate like watching those those professionals who are just rooted in um root that rooted in their experiences and they've got so many so many good ideas and good ways to explain mm-hmm. that it's it's so it's so cool yeah yeah, and um, along the same lines, uh, there's three really amazing resources um, for home cooks and even even for chefs that I think uh, people don't mention often enough um, that are just giant online databases for reci- tested recipes, essentially, and that's um, – Good Eats. So Good Eats is everything Alton Brown has ever done and ever tested is oh, on wow. Good Good Eats website in a database. Every yeah. single recipe, every single step in the R&D process of how he figured it out um, and how he arrived at like the standardized um, way to do it that he ends with. That's all in a database. Um, America's Test Kitchen is another one. Um, that is a institute that all they do is test and standardize recipes. Um, and they also have a massive database of, you know, recipes that have been tested thousands of times uh, to make sure they're accurate. And then the third one is uh, Bon Appetit, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and those three resources combined, you can learn how to do anything you want. Yeah, the, the first time that I saw what a reverse sear was was from alton brown and i'm pretty sure it was on good eats yep which it was like that's a, i was like that's um i don't know about this this seems like not such a good idea and then i like saw the result <laughs> and i was like okay so maybe he knows what he's doing a little bit it's, yep <laughs> like, it's, it's 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 just it's so cool like the endless opportunities of like where you can 
draw inspiration from and get new ideas and see like, Oh, like, I wonder if I could combine these things and make that work. Um, I love that. Um, what, uh, what impact have you seen yourself making like within, within your kitchen and restaurant? Um, or you're to maybe, maybe outside of that too. I, I don't want to box you into one specific area, but um, I, I think it's important to acknowledge and, and kind of think about, you know, the um, Isaac Anderson said, <laughs> do, do good on the largest possible scale. Um, so have, what have you, what have you seen yourself, uh, what kind of changes have you seen yourself making um, and, and impacting others in that way? So once I got started in, in kitchens, um, I, I quote him a lot, but it's because he's very quotable, but um, Bourdain famously said the, the kitchen is the last refuge for the American misfit. And I think that really, that quote still resonates with me a lot. And I think it's for a number of reasons. And one of them being, you know, growing up, my, my dad's kind of story is about him being a misfit who managed to figure it out and have success in his life. And, you know, he, he loved Bourdain, but, you know, he also loved Nirvana and Jimi Hendrix and Miles Davis and all of these musicians and artists who were pretty much by all accounts like screw-ups, you know, <laughs> in their personal lives. So I kind of grew up idolizing misfits to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So it was it was always kind of a thing in our house of like, you know, you never, you never doubt anybody based on their background or, or where they come from. And, and when I, but that being said, I still had a fairly sheltered childhood. And when I got into kitchens, I kind of realized, Oh, that wasn't like that, that that's true. Like, (laughs) um, the, Work, working in kitchens, you know, you're you're not working with regular, well-adjusted, you know, human beings that have had good, you know, good, nice to live lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you're you're dealing with, um, in a lot of cases, you're dealing with drug addicts and alcoholics, and you know, people who have been pushed aside by society, you know, every, every letter of LGBTQIA plus, you know, um, every, every possible fringe human being there could be works in kitchens. And I think there, I mean, there was obviously a massive adjustment period of learning how to work with and understand where those people were coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of things that I at first just kind of took a took or just kind of I don't know if for granted is the right word, but just kind of took it face value of like, well you do that because that like obviously that's how you handle the situation. Yeah. That's what that's what makes the most sense. But that guy's on heroin, so he might <laughs> not feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and essentially what it, what it trained me to do is to, and this, this was slowly, this was over time. This took a lot of learning and a lot of patience, but to approach difficult situations in the kitchen and in the workplace with a much more, um, broad spectrum of possibilities and ideas of ways people could be feeling ways people want to or can handle a situation what people are going through outside of work you know that kind of thing you know if you work if you work in an office or you know for a realty company everybody shows up on time for work for the most part because they have a car they you know they have a they have a car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they have, they have a place where they go home to every single night. Um, you know, they have reliable water and electricity and you can expect them to, you can reasonably expect them to be at work the next day, every mm -hmm. day. But in the majority of kitchens, that's not the case. Um, and not, not with the whole staff, but there's always two or three of like, okay, how are we getting Donald to work today? Like, mm -hmm. yes. you know, yeah. like what's the bus schedule? Okay. The bus doesn't run on this day. Okay. It stops here. Okay. Well, who's uh, like, will you front him an Uber today? Will, you know, will someone go pick him up? Um, who's going to drive him home? And in a kitchen, you run into that on a daily basis and, I think when I was young, it, I spent most of my time being frustrated by it. Mm -hmm. And the older I get, the more I realize that that's a not useful at all. And, and be just not, um, not the reality of the situation because you have no control over it and neither does that person for the most part. So there's not really any point in, in getting, frustrated by it what you have to learn how to do is solve the the problem in front right. of you so um i think kind of the biggest way it's impacted me in the the way that i tr do my best to approach the kitchen these days in my sixth year in the industry is to approach all of my employees and the people who work for me with um understanding and compassion of whatever their situation is. Yeah. Um, I think chefs over the years have, well, not, I think it's a trope that, you know, over the years, chefs are screaming and throwing knives and, you know, fighting and mm -hmm. doing all this other crazy stuff. And at some point I realized I wanted to, excuse me, I realized I wanted to change that. Yeah. And I think overall, pretty much every aspect of work for me got better when I realized that wasn't how I wanted to be. I didn't want to perpetuate that anymore. Mm -hmm. And once kind of, once you see that you don't want to perpetuate that, um, it opens up way more avenues for what you can do in the future. Yeah. 
It's a yeah, a hundred percent. I I love the the purposeful attention to that you that you paid um, to that because I uh, I, I want to make it clear that you know I I kind of laughed as I said like oh they have a car and I want to make it clear that like I not making light of like people not having the most direct um, uh, lines of transportation to to their places of work but I just uh, I have seen that in in other like frontline work um, too and it's um, just it kind of like sharing that it's uh, right it's, it's yeah it's a, you, it's, can't, you can't help but to laugh at like oh yeah let's that's so it we gotta try try and help there's there's somebody out there that like you you're trying to um to help them out with with getting them to work and 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 stuff like that it um i've in in some of the frontline jobs that i've held it's not like a direct comparison to to the kitchen um mm-hmm. and and stuff like that but i I don't know if you've watched the bear and yeah. after you've had a, a million people evangelize to you about it, I'm like, Oh, you got yeah. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. and, and get your perspective on it. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it's like, so at sometimes it's kind of a hard watch because of the personalities in there and you're seeing people like in really tough situations and they're bringing it all in and um, stuff like that. And like, like I w I was watching it and I was trying to get Tabby to watch it. And she's like, I don't, I don't really want this. I'm honestly like stressed out. Um, and <laughs> like, I, like if I'm going to be like relaxing and like watching something, I want to like wind down a bit. And like, uh, I was like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I did, but I, I was like, so I, I was so enraptured and like enthralled, like I couldn't help, but, but to watch, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, like you've, like you've identified like so, so much of that, that misfit atmosphere, kind of lends to the workforce in all spaces but i mean especially kitchens mm-hmm. um so yeah it's um but but identifying that you wanted to be a a grounding um kind of force for people who are in that space so that's uh that's such a that's such a cool thing i really admire you for that and i i think that that's going to go a long way for the people that um get the privilege of working with you um thank you so we, we've kind of come to the end of um, my, my questions here. I did want to ask, though, um, it's a, I, I saw this recently is on the on the toke. There's like so many folds for how many different ways you can prepare an egg. Um, what is your favorite way to prepare an egg and what is your least favorite way to prepare an egg? I have that. That's a great question because I have an answer locked and loaded. Because I think about it constantly. Nice. <laughs> um, my my favorite way to cook an egg is the traditional French omelet. And this kind of goes back to being a history nerd. And being a history nerd plays, in, plays a lot into how I cook and what I want to cook. And a lot of what we're doing at Diamond Jack right now is trying to resurrect um, really, really old American supper club dishes um you know from 30s 40s 50s 60s stuff people haven't seen in forever but things their grandparents talked about and it's all super labor intensive and it takes a ton of steps and a ton of technique and i just i geek out on it all day Mm -hmm. um so my favorite way is the the classic french omelet and 
it's my favorite way one because it has um three ingredients salt butter egg and then from there it's technique so <clears throat> it um the proper way to do it is there's no brown on the eggs whatsoever. You have to control your heat well enough to make the egg not stick to the pan, but not brown. Um, you have to fold it correctly and you have to move it in the pan correctly to be able to fold it over and create a, a custard inside of the omelet. And I spent probably about, probably about a whole year making French omelets to try and perfect it. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was right up until about probably 20 years ago or so, it was the, the litmus test um, for a working interview for a chef mm -hmm. was before a, a cook was hired, they would bring them into the kitchen and say French omelet. Um, and if you could make a perfect French omelet, you got the job. So there's history behind it. There's technique behind it. It tastes amazing. So it, it kind of folds into all of my favorite aspects of cooking. Um, and then on the flip side, uh, my least favorite way to eat eggs <laughs> is um, any, any kind of like that fluffy omelet. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Where like the omelet's like that thick mm -hmm. and it's like foamy almost. Yeah. That's like immediate gag ref reflex for me. That's like, out. I'm out. Out. Can't do it. It is, it is it. so funny to me. Like <laughs> the, just the, the breadth and depth of like how many, how much you can do with eggs. And like some of them, I'm like, no. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> No, nope. put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. Like, yeah. it's, like yeah. I don't, I don't want any any part of that. And then some, I'm like, oh, that is so yummy. Yeah, it's, and I think if you ask, I, I think most chefs would say eggs are their favorite food. They're what all of us tend to gravitate towards when we want to make something for ourselves, mm -hmm. um, because we all have a very specific way that we like them, and they're this is kind of like i don't think a lot of people know this but we consider them the hardest thing to cook correctly yeah. so that's Just from like a heat control perspective and yeah they're extremely temperamental for heat control they're annoying to work with in a lot of ways you know so yeah for us it's like eggs are that's <laughs> mm -hmm. top of the pyramid yeah, that's, there's something kind of magical that you said about the the litmus test too, for the the French omelet. Like, I don't know that there's like there's like a legendary component of like mm -hmm. this is what the test is. This like you've got to be able to do this, and that's like can can secure you that. I, there's I, there's like some kind of like magic in that that feels very. I don't know. It's it's. I just, I, I like that a lot. I, I could yeah. see myself like fixating on that and like, and working to make sure that I could do it and perfect. And like, at any point, if somebody woke me up at two 30 and said, make me a French omelet. Like, all right, I can do yeah. it right now. No problem. Like, yeah, that's a, yeah. That's, I, 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 I get it. I think, I mean, obviously yeah. I don't have the same experience, but I, 
I, I could see myself very easily going down um, that fixation. Yeah, this is like anything related to the mythos of mm-hmm. the restaurant industry or yeah. chefs and cooking is what really scratches the the itch for me. Yeah. That's like that's what I that's why I love like you said that's where that's where the magic is. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like like Texas barbecue, it's like mm-hmm. it's like Dalmatian rub. Like don't don't do anything to it. It's it's salt and, and pepper. Like the salt pepper smoke. Don't mm-hmm. touch it. Like that. Like that. There's like there's something like really cool about about that. I I like that you said mythos there. That I think that encapsulates the idea really well. All right. Well. So we're we're gonna move into like the the very last portion of of the episode, and that is, um, I offer everybody uh, the opportunity to ask a question to the next guest. So okay. what I'll do is I've got the question from Caitlin, who was the guest before you, okay. and then I'll extend you the opportunity to put forth a question to whoever's going to be on the show next. Awesome! I love it. So. This question comes from Caitlin, who was on on the show last. And what is the best piece of advice you think that you would give to yourself in high school? So travel back in time. I guess you could really go from any point in high school. So that could be uh, a part of like where you where you insert yourself there. But you only got, you know, a couple sentences to offer yourself. What advice are you going to going to give yourself? I would say where you are doesn't matter the people around you is where you are doesn't matter the people around you do mm. i like that mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's good that's a, a it's a, you can get caught up in in that idea like really uh, it's it's easy to get swept up in that way but having having those those people around you will will make the landscape you know mm-hmm. yeah all right. Any any then, thoughts on what you might want to ask? Let's see. Let's see. Am I allowed to know who the next guest is? Um, I I I have like some scheduling okay. stuff that okay. next. I don't know particularly okay. who it's going to be. Okay, se, we'll but, do a uh, broad one then. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm gonna say. So, so many options for this question. Um, when you're trying to get a feel for somebody, is there a question that you tend to like resort to, to like feel them out, litmus test of your own? They're, they're all pretty specific, but I... It doesn't hurt, I don't think. I would say, how do you like your steak cooked? How do you like your steak cooked? I like that. You can learn a lot about a person from that question. How how do you like your steak cooked? Medium rare with only salt. Salt only. Salt only. Okay. And a really, really heavy crust in a pan. Mm. Yes. I'm coming to understand just how important to me the, the crust is. Um, yeah, absolutely. Is there a wrong answer for like, if 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 somebody says like this, you're like, I don't know that I want to learn much more. Um, 
I mean, well done is tough. Like mm-hmm. it, it is hard. <laughs> I know. Like I know if someone says well done, I'm going to run into a lot of food issues with that person. (laughs) I don't, I don't want, I don't want to judge anyone, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, well done stuff. That's That's, just, (laughs) it's it's literally tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then on the flip side, if someone says blue, I know they're a psychopath and I Mm. don't want to talk to them either. (laughs) Don't, don't come out with blue. Um, Yeah. If we're if we're mooing, I'm not. I'm yeah, not on the field. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, get me out of there. <laughs> a, and like, I I am not even necessarily above like a tartar, but like a whole slab. Just it's it's too much. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's too much. All right. Well, that is going to conclude the, this week's episode of When I Was Your Age. Thank you so much to Jack for coming on um, to talk about anything and everything kitchen jack do you have anything that you'd like to close this out with um only thing i'm gonna close out with is thank you so much for having me on um everybody follow roland because i remember the first podcast that you started with sam in the study room so i know that this is something that you've been wanting to do and have been working on and thinking about for a long time. And it's really awesome to see you go after it like this and, and really put the work in like, like you're doing. So it's um, very definitely something of kind of my own heart. So I appreciate what you're doing and everybody should appreciate this podcast. It's awesome. Um, Listen to it, be a guest. It's great. That's that's awesome. I uh, maybe we'll link some uh, some behind the curtain episode. I think we only made it to three episodes, if I remember right. But, <laughs> but it was it was a it was a fun time. Absolutely. All right. Well, that is going to officially bring episode seventeen to a close. We appreciate it if you've uh, if you've made it this far. Um, maybe maybe sprinkle that in somewhere on the Instagram. Like, hey, I made it this far. Um, comment uh, maybe a steak emoji on the instagram <laughs> if you made it to the minute 14 and six second mark on on the podcast but we will see you in the next one and thank you very much for making it this time around <laughs>